This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 718 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick. And I'm your head number two, my name is Matt Baum. It's time for another back-issue show. This time, our sentient cosmic long box is forcing us to read and discuss classic comics based on a theme, and it's a little upset about some of the comments that I made about the Blue Beetle movie. So... We're going to be digging into the history of DC's most famous and bluest of Beatles, Ted Kord and Jaime Reyes. After that, we'll set you up with our must-read picks for next week's new comics. But now, get ready to completely ignore Dan Garrett because there's only room for two Blue Beetles in this ziggurat. It's Blue Beetle back issue time in the ziggurat! Beetle at your service. Look, we were supposed to do this one weeks ago, when there was still a glimmer of hope for DC's Blue Beetle movie, but obviously we missed the boat and the movie tanked. I'm not saying there's a correlation there. I'm just saying this is what happened, okay? You're not not saying that. I'm also not not going to say that. That said, THN keeps its damn promises. About 50% of the time. And today we are discussing four books starring the Bronze Age Blue Beetle. That's fair, right? Bronze Age Blue Beetle? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, Silver Age. It was these, okay. Silver Bronze, Ted Cord, and four featuring the modern Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes. Joe, you're handling the old guy. Why don't you start us off? First up is Ted Cord's very first appearance in Captain Adam, Volume 1, Number 83. It's from Charlton Comics. From 1966. In fact, this will be the only non-DC comic we review today. Here are your credits for the TED story. It's concept and art by Steve Ditko with a script by Gary Friedrich. Gary Friedrich, for those of you who think that name sounds familiar but can't quite place it, is the writer that co-created Ghost Rider. He's Ghost Rider's dad. Yeah. He's a ghostwriter's dad, and it's a very terrible, sad story about how Marvel tricked him around. But that's a whole another podcast. Uh, letters here by Herb Field. Good old Herb. The cover price for this one is 12 cents. Here is your solicit, courtesy of mycomicshop.com. After suffering a radiation leak from his suit, Captain Adam loses his powers while preventing an atomic reactor from overloading. Then... Professor Costa's thugs capture him in the first part of a story that heralded a new look for the captain. Ooh, it's very exciting. The backup story introduces the second Blue Beetle, Ted Cord. Also the inspiration for Night Owl in The Watchmen. <laughs> That's all Ted gets. Yeah. Ted Cord makes his very first appearance in this issue, and it's a pretty brief affair. Uh, the main takeaway from the lead story is that Captain Adam is a radioactive menace too dangerous to live. But that's not what we're here for. We don't learn Ted's origin in this issue. We don't even learn that he's Ted at all. But what we do get is the sense that Ted is his own biggest fan. 
He spends most of the story going on about his cool gadgets and all the practice he did before jumping out of a flying tank and picking a fight with armed goons. This one is especially funny because he gets clobbered and then assumes he drove the crooks away with his mad skills right after he wakes up. Let's not forget that, like, not only does he get clobbered, he is an inch away from getting his mask taken off. And the only thing that saves him is, like, a cop happens to be driving. No, by. no, no. It's part of a, it's part of its gear. They couldn't take it off because there's something. Well, yeah, but about still, I mean, they were like, all right, let's see who this guy is. I'm like, oh crap, the no, cops. It, let's beat it's it. It's a specific point in the story where they're like, I can't get the mask off. I it's get made it. of some sort of weird metal. I get that. I'm just saying, like, Ted, you're terrible at this. Well, I mean, <laughs> he's he bad did, at it. He, he did fight like eight guys and did an okay job. To be fair, though, the gadgets are cool. I mean, it's the bug and the weird jumpy trapeze thing and the costume that's got all sorts of gadgetry in it. Steve Ditko's art is great, and he brings that same weirdo energy that he brought to Spidey a few years earlier. Look, there isn't much more to say that we don't say about all the comics we review that are like this. It's a fun Silver Age romp with a silly premise and even sillier dialogue, but you can't deny its charm, and it's a ton of fun to read, plus... If you love Blue Beetle, how can you pass it up? It's a buy it. Agreed with everything you said. Like, look, this is a Silver Age thing. Charlton has this weird history with these characters that would come over to DC every time we'd read one of these. I just, I'm not trying to like bag on it, but part of me has to wonder like, what did DC want here? Was it literally just Shazam? They wanted to get that in house and be like, well, Charlton wasn't from Shazam. Charlton, uh, Shazam was from Fawcett. Oh, Fawcett. That's right. Fawcett. Charlton, Charlton was Captain Adam, Blue Beetle, Peacemaker, The Question. <laughs> Again, what did they want? <laughs> like, look, I like some of those characters today. I Don't mean, clearly me there's value to the characters. <laughs> I guess. I guess. No, this is a perfectly good first appearance. It is kind of comical. I mean, think if you think about it, this is Captain Adam number 83. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's been around. It wasn't popular. No, it's so. selling at the time. And this Captain Adam, whoa, he's not the one that I recognize. I'll tell you what. The Captain Adam story <laughs> it's is quite the outfit. Lousy. <laughs> but Ted, it and, is weird yeah. that in his first appearance, like he literally gets his butt kicked by a guy that drives by and throws a rock at his knee. <laughs> well, it goes, it goes poof. Like it's some sort of gr- gas bomb. If grenade. it is, they don't mention that. I don't know. Regardless. Other than it goes poof and yeah. then he's knocked out. Well, it's it actually right. says, yeah, P-O-O-O-F-F. So poof. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> No, this is, it's a perfectly good Silver Age first appearance by, drawn by a legend. That's the, that's the best I could say about it. I'm, you know, I'm not giving it a buy it. I'll give it a skim it. <laughs> I'll give it a skim it. Now, come on, come on now. It's not very good. I've read better first appearances in the Silver Age. This is a weird I, one. You admit, it's I weird. actually thought the Blue Beetle story was fun and decent, but it's, all Silver Age stories are this dumb. Yeah, all better than, I'll give you, it's better than the Captain Adam one. Give you that. Would have given that a leave it. But we're not talking oh, about yeah. that. Gee, thanks, Captain Adam. Next time, be a hero by remembering you're not. I'll be covering the present modern Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes, and his adventures start in Infinite Crisis number five from DC. It was 2006. It's written by Jeff Johns with your cover, and it's an amazing cover, by George Perez and Tom Smith, art by Phil Jimenez, Jerry Ordway, and Ivan Rice. This one was loaded. 
inks by Andy Lanning, Jerry Ordway, and Art Thiebert. Colors by Jeremy Cox, Guy Major, and Rod Rice. And letters by just lonely Nick J. Napolitano. <laughs> there would have also been a Jim Lee cover. Every issue had oh, yeah. two covers. Yeah. One by Perez and one by Lee. Here's your solicit. The DCU shakes apart as Superman of Earth 2 finally confronts our Superman. Meanwhile, heroes are disappearing throughout the DC universe. A transformed villain returns, and the mystics of every world and dimension seek help from the very spirit that is destroying them. Look, just don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> it's a whole don't separate worry about podcast. It. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no. Infinite Crisis was supposed to be John's magnum opus, Back in the early 2000s, I will not be able to reset the plot here, and I'm not going I can. to apologize for it. You want me to? I can. No, no, we don't have that kind of time. All right. <laughs> Essentially, Johns was doing his best, quote, make Earth 2's timeline work with Earth 1 thing and give all the Earth 2 Golden Age characters a nice send off. Also, Superboy Prime punched the walls of reality and changed some story continuity and later became the anti monitor. In this issue. I mean, all right, not exactly, but sure. In this issue, he just shows up hopping mad after Batman, the new Blue Beetle, and others were planning a trip to Omax Brother Eye Satellite, which had been taken over by Alexander Luthor and was making new Omax that didn't look near as cool as Jack Kirby's one-man army corps. These were just no. kind of blue and... Oh, they were like drones. Yeah. They were like robot drones. They had mohawks. Like, like possessed people. They yeah. kind of looked like the aliens from the abyss. They were like like watery sort of. Blue and yeah. glimmering, sure. Yeah. Revisiting this book, I was shocked at how uneven the art looked when putting Ordway in between Rice and Jimenez. I get he was doing the flashback and the are two stories, so it was supposed to look very classic. But man, did they make his style stand out. <laughs> and that's the nicest way I can put it. We don't get a lot of Jaime well, here. I mean, I think you can put it nicer. There's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't look very good compared to the other two guys. <laughs> Whatever. That's it. We don't get a lot of Jaime here, but this was the first time we got a look at him in the scarab suit. And Ivan Rice makes him look great. Booster Gold had picked up Jaime in issue number three because he knew from his time in the future that the new Blue Beetle would be key to defeating the OMAX satellite, and he goes on to play a big part of this head-spinning story. I am giving this a skim it <laughs> because revisiting this book, man, Jeff Johns has yeah. had too much going on. There, It was too much, and someone should have reined in and said, Jeff, do one thing. Just do one thing. You want to bring back the Silver Age, whatever, or the Golden Age or two? Let's just do that and relax. And it would have been fine. But he did 15 uh, things instead. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I mean, you're not wrong, but like a lot of event books do that sort of thing. I agree. And if you like, I could plot this whole thing down on paper for you and you, and it would make sense. I'm not saying that you would enjoy it. I'm just saying that you would be able to make sense of it. Um, but this is not a great introduction to the character. No. Like you said, his first appearance is in number three. He appears in like three panels and it's just like him finding the scarab and some rubble. And then that's all we see of him until here where he suits up for the first time and Which, then gets kidnapped by a booster gold. I will reference that again in my next review which shows a slightly different version of that origin that doesn't make a lot of sense, but we'll get slightly there. Slightly different, slightly different. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, skim it is fair. I think, I, I think the art is great. Obviously. Um, I have uh, over the years, uh, come to dislike infinite crisis for the most part. I think it's kind of joyless. There's a lot of needless brutality, like characters getting beheaded and their arms torn off and the golden age, original Superman getting beat to death. Like, yeah. This reads like, like John was mad about something and taking yeah, it out. I, I just like <laughs> in my final book of the, of this week, countdown to infinite crisis there's a line that ted cord says that like that is essentially what happened why everything is so dark everybody is getting so dark now and and jeff johns's response to that i guess is yes and that's how we like it bang pretty yeah, much so i don't yeah. know yeah uh, but and it was also like hot on the heels of the whole like rape of Sue Dibney and, and rape and murder of Sue Dibney. And yeah. It's, it's a, it's kind of a dark time, but yeah, it's a skim it as far as, as far as the blue beetle stuff goes, it's there, but there are better. Interests. I mean, is very important to the story just does not do a lot in this issue. I guess. Right. So. But I mean, I would argue that you'd probably be better off just reading the first issue of his, first solo series yeah we'll get there it certainly recaps his origin yeah that's what we're going to talk about now let's get out of here you're not going anywhere off to morons blue beetle yeah. well let's talk about the first of our blue beetle number ones for this week it's blue beetle volume six number one Volume six. How? Just, How is this volume just think six? think about that. This is 1986, by the way. We've had from DC Comics 1986. Uh, so Blue Beetle was a Golden Age character, so right. that would be Volume One, and so that would be—I'm not even sure if that was Charlton still or if it was another company and it ended up on, at Charlton. But there were five different distinct Blue Beetle runs before the Ted Cord ongoing series in wow. 1986. <laughs> yeah, it's written by Len Wein with pencils by Paris Collins, inks by Bruce D. Patterson. Colors by Anthony Tallin and letters by John Costanza. Cover price on this one: seventy-five cents. Uh, here's your solicit. I just kind of cobbled this together from a bunch of stuff. Watch out, world. The Beetle is back. Scientist Ted Cord comes out of retirement to once again enter public service. The buildings are being set ablaze all over downtown Chicago, and the Blue Beetle returns to deal with the villain behind the crimes. Fire Fist. Great name. Oh, God. I love that name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, remember that origin we were missing from Ted Cord's first appearance? Well, buckle up. <laughs> this issue begins with Ted descending on a burning building in an attempt to save lives. Unfortunately, he finds Fire Fist instead. I liked how Ted is clearly pretty good at this at this point. <laughs> Six volumes later. He finally figures it out. He's, right. not, he's not taking no poof balls in the knees anymore. I'll right. tell you what. You're right. Uh, but also, I, I liked how the authorities aren't that thrilled to have him. <laughs> no, they're not thrilled. Len Wein's, <laughs> Len Wein's script is definitely full of soul pain, especially in the narration, but I got a kick out of it. I mean, it's an 80s comic. All the comics were like that back then. As for Ted's origin, well, there is an entire second adventure told in flashback here where Ted's uncle fakes his death and heads to a secret <laughs> island to finish a robot army that Ted accidentally helped him build. <laughs> How else is he going to do and, it, Joe? How would you do it? You got right. a better plan? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then Ted turns to the one man in the world he can trust. Professor of archaeology, Dan Garrett. Sure. 
<laughs> what luck that Dan was secretly a hero called the Blue Beetle, who destroys the robot army but dies in the process, but not before making Ted swear to carry on in his name. Now, I feel like it's necessary to point out that Ted did not know that Dan was Blue Beetle when he said, please come to me, come with me to my uncle's secret death island. No, not at all. Also, when the Blue Beetle does kick off and is like, Ted, you got to do it, man. You got to keep being the Blue Beetle. Carry on the name. But don't use the magic thing that I have that gives me power. No, he's... He can't. It doesn't work for him. Oh, I thought it did. Oh, no, no, no. It doesn't work. He didn't like it. I thought the whole thing. No, no. Okay. It doesn't work for him. No. So the reason why Ted is gadget based tech based is because Dan Garrett's scarab did not work. Okay. This makes more sense now. Thank you. This all makes perfect sense. When we see the DCEU's hottest new character, Conrad Carapax (laughs) infiltrate the Island sometime later to find evil old uncle Jarvis's leftover technology. I definitely remember seeing Paris Collins's name in comics from that time, probably in ads for this very series, but otherwise I'm not really familiar with his work. His art is action packed. It's full of life. His panel compositions are exciting, and he draws pretty cool tech for the time. Though the Cord Omniversal Research and Development Building, I have a note here. I literally just realized as I was writing this that that spells Cord, K-O-R-D. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We've got a, uh, as a matter of yeah. fact, to our question of the week is favorite acronyms. There you favorite go. Favorite acronyms. Uh, but uh, the Cord Building looks like a spaceship from another planet. Also, every character has huge bug eyes for some reason, like huge. Other than that, it's great. Look, is Blue Beetle number one a good comic? Maybe not by today's standards, but I would have flipped out about this if I'd read it as a kid. It's big, dumb, goofy fun. And honestly, when we're doing books like this for the Cosmic Long Box, that's really all I'm looking for. I'm going to give this a buy it because I really had fun. You're making me feel sorry for it now because like that, that man, that opening panel, Blue Beetle jumping out of the bug looks so it's good. Damn weird. His legs are all spread and his eyes are massive. <laughs> oh God. Every, so I can't decide because there's certain things like some panels that just mm, don't look great, but I'll tell you what fire fist is stupid as that character is. I love that armor. It's rad. And he's got like the belt buckle with the fist that's on fire. <laughs> Hell yeah. How is this asshole not more famous? Come on. <laughs> uh, the story. Um, yeah, the story. I mean, the origin is goofy, but they that, need a the, lot the of modern thing- day stories. Yeah, fine. they need a lot of things to happen to get him to where he is now. All of which you brought up the happenstance of, oh, I'm dressed like the Blue Beetle, calling myself the Blue Beetle. I just happened to stumble across this guy who was the Blue Beetle, which I didn't even know was a thing. (laughs) Wow. So I wonder, like, I don't know any better, but I'm assuming that they inherited this origin from the Silver Age comics. Yeah. Like, it it was probably revealed sometime later. Yeah, I'm sure. In one of the five other Blue Beetle runs. Gotta be. Yeah. And, and... So if if that's the case, then I'm kind of I'm going to forgive it for being so goddamn stupid. Well, I mean, sure. But you also don't have to, you know, lick it and lick the other one and just slap them together and go there. They were sure you could have massaged it a little (laughs) bit. Yeah, you could massage a little bit or, hey, 
don't do it at all, you know? <laughs> Dan Garrett brings literally nothing to this other than showing that Ted Gord isn't good enough to do his jobs. Good thing someone else is there to help out, you know? <laughs> it's like a reoccurring theme that Ted Gord is fine at this at best. I'll give this a buy it. I'll give this a buy it because it was fun. It sure is silly as hell. It's And there's a... Well, yeah. There's a reoccurring Matt, it's theme. It's a comic book about the Blue Beetle. There's a reoccurring theme we'll get to here at the end when we discuss both Blue Beetles, but <laughs> you'll see. But Garrett still inspired Ted to become the second Blue Beetle, even with no superpowers. I hear those are optional. Anyway. Joe Patrick, after Blue Beetle Volume 6 comes Blue Beetle Volume 7, and it only took until 2006 to get another one. That's how popular this year. character was. Two decades. <laughs> This is Blue Beetle, Volume 7, number one from DC, 2006. It's written by Keith Giffen and John Rogers, cover and art by Cully Hamner, colors by David Self, and letters by Phil Batsman. No relation to that Batsman. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Tearing its way through the events of Day of Vengeance and Infinite Crisis, the mystical Blue Beetle Scarab has chosen its new guardian, but supernatural powers can be a blessing or a curse. And when it comes to the powers of the Scarab, you don't get one without the other. Part of this issue revisits Jaime finding the Scarab for the first time in which we saw previously in Infinite Crisis number three. But in that issue, the sky was red and pieces of the Rock of Eternity were raining down. Like it was hell on earth. Bad, bad, bad Yeah, because the Rock of Eternity had exploded. Right. In this issue... Just a normal day when Jaime and his two friends are walking around and uh, happens to discover the scarab just sitting there. It was in I mean, start over, at who, a construction site. <laughs> don't overthink it. Who cares? I mean, I'm not overthinking it, but it's one thing if we're talking about the origin of Dan Garrett from a Silver Age comic and we're massaging that or slapping it into, into the origin of the Blue Beetle. We just saw the origin of this Blue Beetle less than a year ago, Joe. Less than a year ago on the pages of Infinite Crisis, like three or four months ago, and it was completely different. That's it wasn't weird. completely different, just the way it was depicted is different. The sky was falling, the world was ending. The yes, Matt, I get it. <laughs> hey, nothing like this that's is happening a num- here. this is a number one this is a number one issue. It was a part of the one year later initiative. They were like they this was the idea of this was like Somebody new is going to pick up this book and we're not going to waste any time going for more about the red skies and the falling rocks. See infinite crisis three and five, it. but not one through seven. It's just still, three and five. Still a weird choice. Cause it happened so recently. I don't think I ever read this comic as I was a little disgusted with how infinite crisis played out, but this is a really well executed first issue. Giffen and Rogers reintroduce Jaime for new readers. And while the story begins with him falling from the sky under attack by Guy Gardner, because his ring perceives the new beetle as a threat, you, you really don't need to know much about the event where we first met this character. Jaime is learning about his new powers along with the reader, and it totally works. Hamner's art is Excellent. He has this rare talent of being detailed, but also loose enough with his style that nothing feels stiff or posed. His characters are fully realized people, and the script is just light enough to really work with his art style. This new Blue Beetle is basically a fish out of water story with what seems to be a character with extraterrestrial powers that he's doing his best to understand, and the creators make him incredibly likable. I think. One of the things that they're doing here, and Keith Giffen, who we're going to talk about more in a little bit here, who worked with Ted Cord as well, 
understands like that sort of doofy character, like it's not going to sell so well. Let's do it with a kid that people can relate to. That's very likable doing his best in a crazy situation. And it works. They're not going for humor here. There is humorous things that happen, but I really like this. I'm giving it a buy it. I mean, yes, I agree, but I don't think Keith Giffen was doing the heavy lifting here. John Rogers is no. the scripter. Like, I think plot may be assist by Keith Giffen, but generally speaking, this is considered John Rogers' baby, sure. and it is great. It's a great introduction to Jaime Reyes. Yes, you're right. The origin is depicted slightly differently. Like, they're not showing you plot elements from Infinite Crisis in the background, but- you know, again, like I said, you're not really supposed, you're not expected to know that or, or, or be bothered or, or, um, well, no, I get it. And it would have cheapened the book. You're not being punished for not knowing. Right. It, it would have cheapened and the book also, later on when you revisit it and go, what the hell is this? You know, I'm mean, sure I get that. But at the same time, I did read your book and then this book <laughs> in that order and went, sure. And what you know, but you know what? I even I'd go so far as to say that if you read infinite crisis, number five, when it came out or number three, pardon me, when it came out in 2005 or late 2005, early 2006. Yeah. It was just months before this one. And then you read blue beetle. Number one, following the end of infinite crisis in 2007, you would probably already not remember that the sky wasn't falling. Like maybe. <laughs> so I like, I think you're, I think you're like really zeroing in on something that's not. I'm not. Important. You're the one that's still talking about it. All I was saying is it was odd. <laughs> that's all I said. <laughs> I don't think it would be odd for most people. Okay. Is my point. The art is great. You know, all you really need to know is kid found scarab, ended up wrapped up in a big adventure, went to space, doesn't remember the last year of his life. Yeah. Boom. The end. And oh, and for some reason, the Green Lanterns fucking hate him. Which and that that stuff is developed throughout the series. This whole run is fantastic. The uh, Cully Hamner needs to draw more stuff. I love this book. It's a buy it for me. Bats. Booster. Together. Wow. Well, this is great. This is just awesome. You never said you and Booster were friends. (laughs) It never came up. Let's hop all the way back to 1987 and learn about one of the most iconic friendships in the DC Universe. I am talking about Justice League International Volume 1, Number 8, from DC 1987, written by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis, with pencils by Kevin McGuire, inks by Al Gordon, colors by Gene D'Angelo, letters by Bob LaPan, and a cover price of 75 cents. Here is your solicit, courtesy of DC fandom for the most part i massage it a little bit now approved by the united nations the justice league international has moved from their secret sanctuary to three embassies in manhattan moscow and paris jack Ryder takes this as an opportunity to whip up more fear on his hot seat program meanwhile in paris beetle and booster enjoy a drink and the leggy french scenery ooh la la in their civilian identities until they both spy a dark-haired beauty that gives Booster more trouble than he bargained for. It would not be a proper spotlight on Blue Beetle if we didn't talk about his longtime friendship with Booster Gold, an enduring bond that got its start in this very issue. It's a moving day for the JLI as they take up residence in the embassies across the world, 
There's plenty of goofy fun to be had as Captain Adam once again proves he's too dangerous to live. <laughs> and the other, the other members carry on in equally and hilariously incompetent ways. But there's also a lot of very smart political intrigue here as the team navigates the complex geopolitical landscape. What's really important here is the scene where Booster Gold and Blue Beetle start to form their iconic friendship, which immediately leads to romantic and professional disaster. It's almost effortless how easy Giffen and DiMatteis were able to bond these characters together, and the duo is a joy to read about from the very first moment. What else can you say about Kevin Maguire, except that the guy has always been at the top of the heap when it comes to drawing expressive characters? He's not so bad at the rest of it either. This is just a great-looking comic front to back. There's also a fun backup story, Drawn by Giffen, featuring the Global Guardians, which was DC's previous team of globally sanctioned heroes. The Guardians are shutting down in the wake of the JLI's formation, and Ireland's jack-o'-lantern is not taking it well. <laughs> it's good stuff, and Giffen's art rules. But as far as Blue Beetle and his friendship with Booster are concerned, Justice League International number eight is a must read. This gets a huge buy it. Okay. I didn't know why you picked this one. And now that you tell me that this is where their friendship got started, I totally get it. And like Booster joins the team in like issue two or three, but this is the first time you ever see them like together being buddies. I didn't know this. Yeah. No, I just thought, well, yep. this is good, but I don't really understand why Joe picked this one. That makes a lot of yep. sense. I really like this. I, every time we revisit this run, I feel like I have a lot of fun with it. It's not a run where I've read the whole thing and I don't have the same memories that you do. I love the art, although I will say I cannot handle being able to see the skin under Mr. Miracle's mask. I don't I know, like it. I don't I like it. it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like to see the, the flushy of the flesh Do around not eyeballs. not like it. Because he doesn't have any lips. And his nose is perfectly covered. Why would we see his eyes? I don't get I, it. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. But no, this is just adorable. And it's fun. It's it's Brian Hitch's. It's Brian Hitch and the toes all over yeah. again. Yeah. Someday I should just sit down and read this entire run. Because I know I'm going to like it. I'm going to give this a buy it as well. Good times. And this is neat that this is where their friendship started. I did not know. Yeah. Well, back to work. And just for the record, I'm totally okay with you being Ted's second best friend. While we're on the subject of Booster, let's talk about Booster Gold, Volume 2, Number 6. It's from DC, it's 2007, written by Jeff Johns and Jeff Katz. Cover and art by Dan Jurgens and Norm Ratmond, with colors by Hi-Fi. You don't hear from that guy very often anymore. Hi-Fi. Hope he's okay. Letters. You do. Byron. Hi-Fi still around. Oh, okay. Well, glad Hi-Fi is still working. <laughs> Letters by Randy Gentile. Here is your solicit. 52 Pickup concludes as Booster Gold journeys back in time to save the best friend he ever had, the Blue Beetle. But can Booster stop Maxwell Lord before someone else dies in Ted Cord's place? And will Ted Cord let that happen? 52 Pickup was a storyline, it's just a little note here, that spun out of the pages of the 52 event, which sees Booster working with Rip Hunter, Time Master, to repair the DCU's damage timeline by stopping an unknown assassin from killing key characters whose actions could affect the multiverse. So, as it would turn out, one of those key characters, Ted Cord, 
who dies in a different event and boosters getting a chance to fix it. And of course he's too dumb to let it happen. And it's his best friend. So he can't Bah, story go. While this is barely a Jaime centric issue, it does lay out some stark differences between him and Ted. Jaime communicates with the scarab and wears it as armor while Ted wasn't able to use it. I, I had put here that he never trusted it because he makes some, he talks about how he doesn't like it. I didn't realize he full on could not use it. Yeah. Ted did possess the scarab though. He was holding on to it for a while there, right? Yeah. I mean, it was in his possession because it, it, he inherited it from Dan Garrett. Okay. I never read this booster series as it seemed fairly impenetrable for the casual DC fans. Like I was back in 2007 Even today, I had a lot of questions about what happened in this story alone, but Johns and Katz were using Booster as a vehicle to clean up continuity and maybe even right some wrongs like Ted Kord's death. It's a great use of time travelers like Booster and Rip Hunter, but based on what Rip is saying this issue, I'm guessing saving Ted turns out to not be the best idea. This is late in Jurgen's career, but when Ratman is doing his finishing work, it makes for a great looking comic that still captures Jurgen's Jurgen's classic DC style, the 80s and 90s. I like Jurgen's. 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 You should stick with that. Yeah. While I don't plan on going back and reading this run, it feels like it was John's performing a janitorial service to get characters he likes back on board, but I could be wrong. This is a fun issue featuring four Blue Beetles, so I get bonus points there. Do we ever find out who the blue beetle of the future is in this? Uh, yeah, it's a whole thing. Like you read one chapter of a storyline that yeah. had been running for the previous six or seven issues. Who is it? Who's the blue beetle of the future? Is it somebody? I don't remember. Oh, okay. I haven't read but it. It's, it's not so like, oh my God, it's that guy. I don't remember. Okay. I, I, right. I can't, I can't say either way. I, I don't really remember. This is still a lot of fun. I'm going to give it a buy it. Uh, what I will say is that. I definitely recommend that you read this uh, booster gold run because it rules. The tagline is the greatest hero you've never heard of. Right. And the premise is that as a result of all the crap that happened in 52 booster gold is now working with rip hunter uh, to protect the time stream. But the thing is, is that nobody can know that he's doing it. So he's doing all of this great stuff. Like that's saving time and space, but nobody can know that it's him. And the first storyline is called 52 pickup just cause that's a clever name, but it deals with Ted learning what it means to have this job now. And one of the issues is, uh, and part of it is that like, it's that old chestnut from, you know, any time travel story or, or universe where there's a lot of time travel where it's like, some things just can't be changed. Sure. They're sure. key events. They're canon events, right? Right. Into the Spider-Verse dealt with it. Like when Nick Fury went uh, back in time to kill Flash Hitler. The movie did with it. Right. It takes Booster a while to learn that lesson. And one of the issues, I think it's number three, he thinks that he has a chance to stop the Joker from crippling Barbara Gordon. And he tries like 20 times and it fails every time. And sometimes at great personal, like physical cost. And finally it's, he's just like, I can't do it. Can I? And, to, and uh, rip hunter is like, nah, man, that's what sucks. Ooh, is that something brutal to happen? It's brutal. It, like it's so good. This run is so good. Um, this though, this was a multi-part storyline. So like, I kind of get it. If you 
you're kind of jumping into like midstream here, the stuff with the the black beetle, which is the blue, evil blue beetle of the future. But this is Jaime teaming up with all of the blue beetles that came before him. So that's kind of fun. Back up. I'm giving the, we don't know that this beetle is evil here though. yet, Right. We don't the black, the black beetle. We, they don't call him the black beetle in this at all. He's like a silver guy. Fact checking. It is the black beetle. They reveal yeah, apologies. that. Apologies. I forget what order the events are revealed. They reveal that but. in the issue before this, in this one, he's feeding them a line of bullshit and calling himself the blue beetle from the future. Right. Uh, okay. But he is actually the black beetle and he is the villain of the story. He's bad. He's a bad dude. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, this is great. It's a great run. I recommend it. This is a fun storyline and a fun. It's fun to see Jaime teaming up with Ted and, and even stupid ass Dan Garrett and Booster. It's a buy it. It's great. If this diamond theft does have to do with the telescopic amplifier that you as Ted Cord invented. I'm not Ted Cord. We need to find it. That's something I can help with. Every cord product has a brilliantly designed homing beacon created by uh, me, Ted Cord. Matt Bomb kind of ripped the bandaid off with his last review. My final review of the show deals with the death of Ted Cord. It's Countdown to Infinite Crisis number one. This is from DC. It's 2005. So this came out prior to Infinite Crisis before Jaime's Fresh Prance. Written by Jeff Johns, Greg Rucka, and Judd Winnick, with art by Rags Morales, Ed Benes, Phil Jimenez, Ivan Rice, and Jesus Sayas. Inks and colors by various. There's just a lot of them. Uh, and hey, letters by our boy, Nick J. Napolitano. Hey. He back, baby. Cover by Jim Lee and Alex Ross. It's pretty nifty. It's Jim Lee penciled, Alex Ross painted. Cover price on this one was only a dollar. Here is your solicit. You know what? This is not a solicit. I wrote this. I Frankenstein this together because the solicit that DC actually put out was just about how great it is to have all these guys working on this comic. And <laughs> oh, my God, it's only a dollar. Holy smokes. Like literally nothing about the plot. Four days ago, Oracle told Blue Beetle that someone siphoned 20 million dollars of his money into several dummy corporations, nearly bankrupting him. One of the names on the receipts is OMAC. What follows is an investigation into a conspiracy at the core of the DC universe, one that will strike at its very heart. The clock is ticking. Infinite Crisis is an event that I dislike a little more the further away from it we get. You've heard us making fun of it in previous episodes, earlier in this episode, so I'm not even going to mention this other stuff. Yeah, we don't need to go back into it. Yeah. It's a miserable affair that that led to some pretty fun stories in the 52 series and the one year later initiative. But what led up to the event was pretty exciting as well. That lead up began right here in this 80 page beast of a one shot that DC had the good sense to sell for just a buck. And I tell you, the buzz around the comic shop. At the time, who oh baby, it was crazy. This comic, we were nuts about it. People were freaking out. It was a great idea, yeah. very great. As the synopsis said, Blue Beetle has stumbled on a mystery that touches every corner of the DCU, and solving it will cost Ted Cord his life. By this point in DC's history, Ted's fellow heroes viewed him and his friend Booster as something of a joke. So when he tries to go to his so-called friends for help, 
he has a hard time finding anyone to take him seriously or who isn't wrapped up in something they think is more important. It's this apathy that eventually leads to Ted's death at the end of the issue, and it's just heartbreaking in a great way. The writers do an incredible job of turning a promo gimmick that leads to four different other promo gimmicks (laughs) that lead to their big event book for the year into a compelling story with a great mystery and a genuinely shocking twist. So there was Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Get ready for Infinite Crisis. Watch out, here comes Infinite Crisis. It's almost (laughs) time for Infinite Crisis, and I can't remember the other one. (laughs) Uh, It's like, bend over. It's time for Infinite Crisis. Don't look now! Infinite Crisis! (laughs) Yeah. At one point, Booster, who, of course, is on Ted's side, is gravely injured, leaving Ted to continue alone before leaving his friend for what will be the final time, or, you know, at least until the next reboot. Ted says the following to one of Booster's nurses, quote, whatever happens, you tell him it's not his fault. You tell him it's not his fault that I said so. And you tell him that I never had a better friend than him. He knows that he, (laughs) he knows that he probably won't survive this conspiracy. And he wants his best friend to know that he shouldn't blame himself. If that does not tear your heart out and stomp on it, you have ice water in your veins. Each chapter is beautifully illustrated by one of DC's leading artists at the time, who are all still around for the most part and have only gotten better with age. Countdown to Infinite Crisis lights the fuse to a series of bombs that really blow shit up in the DC universe for a long time to follow. I couldn't get enough of it at the time. It still holds up today. It's a shame I can't say the same thing about the actual event, but this book gets a buy it for sure. Okay, you said most of these artists are around. Where the hell is Rags Morales? That guy's Rags so good. Do Rags doesn't do a ton of stuff. Oh, he's days. so I think good. That that's, I want Rags back. Please come back yeah, to us, I, buddy. <laughs> I, I think that there, um, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but I, I think that Rags had some issues. Oh, um, that, uh, that, that just kind of led to him not being able to keep up with oh, a monthly okay. schedule. Fair and enough. so we don't really see rags that often anymore. He's so good. God, I love this guy. So yes, to everything you said, this lead up was so crazy. And like, we, we, we were insane when this was coming out, like people yeah. were freaking out. I was so excited for this event. They were throwing all of their biggest talent at it. Jeff Johns was just height of his power could not be stopped. Watch out. Jeff Johns is going to mess with your characters. This is going to be great. And then we got into the event and, um, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) I mean, even, even several months into the event where it's like Jeff Johns is bringing back earth too. Oh, by the way, crisis on infinite earths actually happened. And only some people remember it. Yeah. Oh shit. It was too much. It was too much. But as we were getting it, like when, like me, you like, if you can imagine me and big Mike, you guys freaked out. Some people freaked out. Yeah. The the rest of us started to back up and go, I'll wait and see what happens. And then by the end, we're like, how do you guys feel? (laughs) And you were going, look, uh, look, I I don't want to mischaracterize how we felt at the time, because I think at the time we were all in, but as I revisit it now as an older fan, I look back and I see shit like, Superboy Prime you know, literally yeah. punching the heads off of yeah. Teen Titans. I mean, and come on. Like, there's a lot of really stupid, bad stuff in here. Okay, like, there's regardless. No re- there's no reason. We're talking about like, this issue. This issue is 
excellent. Yeah, yeah, no, this issue's great. It's excellent, and it shows- oh, Also, it, Sasha Bordeaux is in it, who I fucking love. All right. It shows oh, wait, how no, much- no, she's not in this. No, she isn't. What are you talking about? Stop. She's in the she's in the OMAC project, which is one of the spinoffs. This issue, really, this issue really shows how much Jeff Johns loves Booster and Blue Beetle. Like, legitimately loves these two characters. And- just writes him so well. I've never really cared about him, honestly, except for some of the Justice League International and the Jeff Johns stuff that I read. Now he just happens to blow his head off in this issue too. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that's but that's but just hey. it, right? Is that that's Ted is so beloved that right. that was such a shocking moment. Yeah, it showed us how much how much we should have cared about him. Took him away from us, so I'm giving it a buy. It. Uh, just as a quick aside, the uh, the four other books that also that sprang from this and then led to Infinite Crisis, The Ring and Thanagar War, Day of Vengeance, Villains United, and The OMAC Project. Ran Thanagar War was awesome. Uh, OMAC Project is awesome. OMAC Project was good. Villains yeah. United is incredible, and it led to an, a lengthy, excellent run uh, called Sinister Six yeah, by uh, Gail Simone. Ring of Thanagar War is good. Day of Vengeance is okay. Day of Vengeance, Day of Vengeance is that's okay. That's one where magic like was broken or changed or something like magic that. Magic was broken. That's yeah. where like where the Rock of Eternity gets blowed up real yeah. good. You know? None of us really understood what happened, as I recall. Bill Willingham wrote it, you know. What does that even mean? Blue, what do you mean? Who are you talking to? <sighs> it's the scarab. The thing stuck to my spine that gives me the armor, the powers. The scarab advises me. Think Jiminy Cricket with a really bad attitude. My final Blue Beetle adventure goes to Blue Beetle Volume 8, number zero, from DC from 2012. This is written by Tony Bedard and Keith Giffen. Cover and art by Ig Guara. Inks by J.P. Meyer. And letters by Rob Lee. Here is your solicit. Sky Witness, presenting the history of the Blue Beetle Scarab, beginning with its crash landing on Earth during Mayan times. There you go. Okay, Sky Witness. Boy, yeah, that's a that's a pun and a half. Once again, I completely skipped this entire Blue Beetle series, so found myself a little lost in the details. An editor's note would have been nice when we saw flashbacks of Jaime stabbing his friend and a new version of Omac showing up. That was minor, though, and the main story followed the Scarab coming to Earth, tying well, into. We're, we're firmly in the New Fifty Two now, so right. things are way different. Things are way different. Yeah. That was minor, though, as the main story followed the Scarab coming to Earth and tying it into the Quetzalcoatl mythos of the Aztecs, which was very clever. Iggera had recently been penciling on the Captain America Symbol of Truth series at Marvel, and that book looked incredible. But even back here in 2012, his art was amazing. He's another one of those artists that just seemed to come onto the scene fully formed and just got better from there. I really like what Giffen and Bedard are doing here, and I gotta wonder if this whole thing, the plot set up with the origin of the Scarab as a weapon that was similar to the Green Lantern Ring, but instead of using willpower to wield it, the user had to have the willpower to override its base programming, or you basically become a slave. The Green Lantern Corps are a group of space cops using their rings and willpower to police space. The Scarabs enslave their hosts to serve as soldiers, but there are a few hosts that have the willpower to take control of the Scarab, and Jaime Reyes is amongst the few. That's a really cool setup, and I'm wondering 
like, did they just come to this after the first volume? Like, Oh shit, you know what we should do? (laughs) Cause why not introduce that from the beginning when he started dealing with all this? I think it's awesome. I'm giving this a buy it. Pre new 52. The scarab is it's the reach is the name of the alien race. They're called the reach. Okay. And, uh, they created the scarabs and, um, their, their weapons basically. Right. And, uh, so, you know, the, the scarab found its way to earth in the, in the earlier volume and it's being used against its intended purpose. It's, it's supposed to be a weapon meant to conquer, not, uh, uh, a tool for protection. The whole slave thing is new with the new 52. And so I'm not like that. Uh, wasn't really, I don't think the whole slave part of it was part of the original run. Gotcha. So, um, but I mean, I do think it's fun to see the past of, of the scarab, you know, to, like how it affected earth mythology is neat. And, uh, the art is great. This is a buy it for me. This is, this is, just a year into the new 52 and I was not loving it <laughs> at the time. No, there were more misses than hits at this time. Definitely. But I, I can't deny it. This is a good issue. Yeah. So it's a cool setup. With eight Blue Beetle comics reviewed and discussed, it's time to pick the one issue that stood above the rest to enter the THN Permanent Collection. And who is the bluest beetle? Matt Bomb. What's your vote? I mean, the Countdown book is just irresistible. You can't fight it. And and reading that back in the day, like, warped my brain. And it's still great. And all these artists are so good. So that's got to be the one that goes in. I yeah. think after reading all this stuff, though, and maybe it's recency bias because of the way we write characters today as opposed to the way we used to write them. It's hard for me not to say I like Jaime Reyes better. <laughs> I don't know. But I think they made Last that character week. more likable from what I've experienced. Likable? Yeah. Ted Ford is nothing but likable. He's a doofus. That's the thing. He's a cartoon doofus so like what? he's like no so he's like odie from garfield likable sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no i think i like jaime better honestly nah no way i like his uh, suit better look, too and i like the, I, the idea of the reach and all this stuff and like the alien i think it's neat yeah yeah you yeah yeah i got it, i think I ted cord is a dime store iron man in a better mood He's a what? A dime store Iron Man in a better mood. <laughs> a dime store Iron Man. Okay. I agree that Infinite Crisis is is the one for me. Uh, I love that Justice League International book. But as far as a character spotlight on Ted and and what he was really capable of and what he really meant to DC, it's that issue, that countdown issue. Sure. Um, Ted for me will always be the bluest beetle. I like Jaime. Don't get me wrong. I I've read many Jaime comics that I have loved very much, but to me, Ted Cord is, is the best blue beetle. He's just, I think he's such a great character. And yes, I understand that they took him and they put him in that comedy book. And so he became this kind of doofus. Yeah. But that's not all he was. And like, he appeared in other books. Like he was Barbara's friend in birds of prey. Yeah, I like that a lot. He helped Barbara during Birds of Prey. Like, Ted's been in a lot of stuff. And, yeah, I just, I love the guy. I love him.
Now that we've established who is, in fact, the bluest beetle, it's time to head up to the THN, Sanctum Sanctorum. We need to consult with our lawyer, who also happens to be the THN AI, Macho, about this cease and desist letter we received from Dan Garrett's family and estate. While I have Macho access everything he's got on Blue Beetle Slander, why don't you tell these kids about your must-read pick for next New Comic Book Wednesday, October 10th. I think we can both agree that the bluest beetle is definitely not Dan Garrett. Oh, yeah, that guy sucks. You kidding me? <laughs> okay. We can at least agree on that. He's an idiot that thought he had a magic beetle. <laughs> he Come did on. have a magic Well, he thought it was magic. Yeah, he's but a he moron. Did have a magic beetle that gave him superpowers. <laughs> My pick for next week is Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, number one from DC. It's written by Robert Venditti with art by Riley Rosmo. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Uh, you know what? I really loved seeing Wesley Dodds back in Night Terrors. I was sad too. when he went back in the grave. I kind of did too. But I think, I mean, I think that this is a Sandman mystery theater type. Yeah, this is like story. a historical, this like. This isn't about zombie Wesley. And they're not bringing Wesley to modern day. This is old school no, 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 Sandman, no, no. It's right? old. It's old timey. Okay. Uh, we both loved Robert Venditti's Hawkman. We are Riley Rossmo fans in general. Hopefully he's toning it a little down a little bit. From he definitely the, has uh, the Tim Drake series. He definitely has the art here looks. It's a little more in line with that sort of vertigo feel of Sandman mystery theater. And yeah. And Ross was great. He was just doing something with the Tim series that did not work. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, I'm very excited for this. I'll take more Wesley Dodd Sandman anytime. Love that character. My pick for next week is midlife parentheses or how to be a hero at 50. Number one. It's from Image, it's 32 pages, $3.99, written by Brian Butchelato, with art by Stefano Simeone. This is a series premiere! Thanks, Thanks Image. Image. <laughs> Essentially, this is the story of Ruben Kwan. He's a 50-year-old firefighter. He's played it safe all his life. He's not, he's like, not even rushing into buildings and like saving people or anything like that. Dude is basically like a paperwork firefighter, you know, at, at the desk. Basically, after 25 years in the fire department, he finds out he's fireproof but in a freak accident, more or less. And his whole life is upended. The art looks fantastic. I don't know Stefano Simeone, but I love this setup. It's great. Like, dude, yeah, it sounds like a ton of fun. Right. It's like, yeah, I joined the military, but uh, I just want to be in the mail, you know, mail department. I deliver mail and I'm just fine because I shouldn't go fight in the front ends. And then somebody shoots you and you find out you're bulletproof. (laughs) Like, oh, well, that changes things. (laughs) Right. No, this looks great. I'm excited for it. The THN must read trade for next week is Serial. It's a trade paperback from Ahoy Comics. It's written by Mark Russell with art by Peter Snabjörg. It's 128 pages for $17.99, and here is your solicit. Snedge Bajerg. Sorry, sorry. Snedge Bajerg. (laughs) Yes. Snedge Bajerg. Hard J's in there. Yeah, yeah. My mistake. My mistake. What We Do in the Shadows meets Monster Squad in this dark, distinctly adult, and lovingly funny take on an earlier generation's beloved monsters. They're talking about us. We old. They're talking about guys like us. The Marquis de Coco, recently transformed into a vampire, braves the agony of sunrise to throw his famous breakfast parties where he plays his deadly games with such oddly familiar characters as the Quaker, Bo Berry, and the Brute. I mean, it's not a subtle joke. Yeah. Uh, It's featuring lush, evocative art by Peter Snedgebajerg. 
from Starman. This volume collects every chapter from Ahoy's Edgar Allan Poe anthologies, plus an all-new three-part conclusion. So, in case you didn't get the joke until Matt Bomb tried to explain it to you, this is a comedy horror story starring the monster serial mascots of the 80s. Yeah, your Frankenberry. Chocula, Frankenberry, Fruit Blueberry. Fruit, yummy fruit, Mummy. Fruit. Right, I'm sure <laughs> Yummy Mummy is in there somewhere. Uh, and it's great. Like, we read, uh, I think, Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror, I'm pretty sure ha- uh, one of the issues we reviewed had a chapter of it, and we talked about it then, and it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Distinctly adult, too, so... Yeah, I mean, I, don't know. I think I think they mean not, like not in a sexy way, but like, hey, don't be surprised if Count Chocula bites somebody's jugular out or something. Sure, fun stuff. Pick it up. Beautiful art. Peter Snaebeer is just a powerhouse artist. Someone's come for a nutritious breakfast. What? Hello, my name is Boo. <laughs> Let me finish. Booberry, my ghostly good blueberry-flavored cereal, Booberry, <laughs> is part of this complete breakfast. If you want to make sure you get your copy of cereal so you can see Count Chocula's hog, be sure to pre-order these comics so you can read along with us and tune in next week. You're going to hear us review these picks on the new They can do that kind of stuff out of boy. It's true. Yeah, they ain't scared of showing no, a, a hog. This ain't no black label. They ain't gonna freak out. No. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for Teachin' 718. Next time, we're back to reviewing new comics, and we're gonna give you a taste of our Patreon Extra. If you can't get enough of this sweet, sugary THN stuff that is absolutely not part of a well-balanced breakfast... Join us for our gang hang. We do them on our Discord on Saturdays at 11 Central to noon. We would love to have you there. Joe Patrick, what else can they do on our damn Discord? Perhaps you're curious about how Matt's Maniac Cop franchise rewatch is going. Not good. I'm on three and it is brutal. (laughs) People talked about how great these movies were. I remember the first one being fun. Oh, boy. Could be you just want to uh, share your favorite shelf porn with your fellow listeners. Your big, big, heaving bookshelves. Oh, boy. Perverts. Or maybe you just want to discuss our question of the week. This week's question is courtesy of Matt Bomb. What's your favorite acronym in comics? You know, like S.H.I.E.L.D. or the D.E.O., etc. Be sure to tell us what it stands for. And hey, if you have a fun one that you invented, lay it on us just like Adriano did in the Discord. Adriano has invented Fart Jam, which stands for Fiery Analysis and Reactions with Two-Headed Nerds, Joe and Matt. Oh, Fart Jam. That's, that's, yeah. You know what? That works. (laughs) I'll take it. Totally works. You can sign up for our Discord with the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com slash Discord, where we've got channels for all of our segments. Or you can send an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, and we'll put you on the show. Watch for our Fart Jam bumper stickers coming very soon. If you're new to this show and you would rather listen to just a little over an hour of a Fart Jam band than listen to us anymore, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is... You can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at twittednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest 
patron, John Andrews. If you like what you hear every week and you have a very non-specific, possibly made-up name like John Andrews, it's easy to support this show. I get it. He probably doesn't want to use his real name and be attached to this. I totally understand that. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Yes, my name is James Humanman. <laughs> I am a real boy. Yes, a real human boy. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to my second family at Legend Comics and Coffee. Through the magic of podcasting time travel, today was their grand reopening in their beautiful new location. If everything went according to plan, I will have spent the day there celebrating their amazing success drinking my first Big Mike Mint Mocha in years and reconnecting with friends that I hadn't seen in far too long. I hope that you were one of them. Word to all of you legends, and if you were anywhere near Omaha today, I hope I got a chance to see you. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might remind you that time travel is very difficult and their grand opening was Wednesday. This show comes out Thursday. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. I just assumed that you would have the show out to, <laughs> so done tomorrow. <laughs>